0: Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel. Joined, as always, by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. Hi, Rachel. How's it going? Good. What are we talking about today?
1: Well, if you remember our last episode, I think we left it on a cliffhanger. It's like one of those Marvel movies where there's a, a stinger at the end and you're like, you can't wait for the next movie because it's like, okay, you left us on the edge of our seat. You know, what's the, what's the outcome? And so... If you haven't listened to the last episode, go back and listen to the last episode where we do our ATIA recap, ATIA 223 recap. Um, and what we say at the end there is that there was sort of a a theme, a heavy theme, a lot of conversation on one particular topic, Rachel.
0: Gestalt language processing and AAC.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, it, I don't have enough fingers to count all. Orto, who's really to count the number of conversations people came up to talk to me, talk to you, I mean, literally got off the plane and got to ATIA, and I was in a conversation about Gestalt language processing. Um, and I, I, uh, even on the ride home, I uh, like on the ride back from the airport, I was in a conversation, I shared a shared a ride with somebody, that person was talking about Gestalt language processing at EdCamp. We knew it was going to be on the board for people to to talk about Gestalt language processing. And sure enough, there was a giant circle of people. There were multiple presentations on it, Um, one back-to-back, right? Uh, um, Like on the day, there was uh, one at like 8.30 to 9.30, and then there was another one from 9.30 to 10.30. So I think that was a really big topic. And like I said at the end of the last uh, episode... It was big in 2022 a lot of people talking about it but I feel it was like even 10 times as big uh, it took up that much more time people discussing
0: it. Yes, I think that it was what everyone was talking about. <laughs> in downtime it, in between sessions in the hallway, you know, there definitely was a lot of buzz and talk um about this topic and it was interesting to see it felt like, you know, last year it was definitely talked about, but this year was just like, it took over ATAA. <laughs> it took over all the conversations at ATAA.
1: Yeah, like literally, like you said, like every hallway conversation, anytime you sat down to have a meal with somebody, the topic came up. Um, but... Now, trying to summarize it for everybody is—I I feel like—it uh, responsible, right? Like maybe you and I share this responsibility to sh- come back and share to the the podcasting community here. Like, well, okay, well, what were the conversations? What were they saying? And the phrase that keeps coming to my mind to kind of summarize it is that there's a healthy skepticism. Uh, that that's how I felt. If I had to wrap it up into a phrase, I would say healthy skepticism from all of these people that attend ATIA that are this extended community, dare I say, family of people that, um, we coming together being like, what do you think? Cause I have some thoughts, but are they what you think? Are they what I think? Okay. I have some questions. I, I have you wondered the same things that I'm wondering? And there was a lot of conversation around sort of, again, eh, eh, healthy questions about why does someone, wear, about this whole phenomenon that has sort of erupted in the world of AAC.
0: Yeah, I think that everyone definitely was having those conversations and it was interesting. And I kind of zoom out and think about what those conversations looked like. And I think everyone was kind of like walking on eggshells a little bit, like here's what I'm wondering, what are you wondering? And then it was like, when you realize someone was wondering the same thing as you or had similar questions and it was like, okay, like we can dive in here. Um, which is interesting to think about, you know, cause it, it does feel like, you know, there's a lot of messaging around Gestalt language processing in AAC. And, um, yeah, I think that it was just like a collection full of people who are very passionate, I would say about, AAC assistive technology and have been doing this work for, you know, their entire careers oftentimes. And, um, this new kind of thing that everyone's trying to wrap their heads around. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that just having questions makes sense, right? This is a new thing that everyone's hearing about and learning about. And I think that, you know, I myself have, you know, had a lot of questions come up in my own clinical practice and mind, um, listening to what I'm listening to, learning, being open to trying to learn new ideas and also taking what I have learned and know to be true about AAC and what we teach, you know, on this podcast and what we teach during our presentations, Chris, and trying to kind of reconcile some of the questions that come up in my mind.
1: Mm hmm. Something you said there, I just want to dig into it a little bit there, Rachel, because I certainly felt that way as well, is that when those conversations emerged, um, that walking on eggshells feeling, I definitely sensed it. Um, And maybe I sensed it a little less than you. I don't know exactly because of the the podcast episode where um, I mentioned in last week's uh, ATIA summary how... One of the big takeaways I had from ATIA that when we do our year-end reflection, people listen to the podcast, and there's the number of downloads, and we look at those number of downloads, and it might mean we might think that means that's the most popular episode because people like the content, but that's not necessarily true. People listen to the podcast multiple times or download it and share it to get to 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 study it, and that episode, those two episodes in particular multiple people came up to me and you, I think, right? Yeah. And said, um, we listened to that episode multiple times. Like, they didn't always use the word multiple. Some people said, I listened to that episode six times, uh, trying to dive into what is being said and how it's being conveyed. But I, so, so that's one phenomenon. But then also the walking on eggshells piece that you talked about, I had multiple people be – uh, trepidatious about going on to social media and asking any sort of questions around gestalt processing for fear that they might be shouted down or ostracized or um, in some way, Look, you're not on board, therefore you're against um, uh, neurodivergent affirming practices, right? And and so they. that's why I, I then they as we got into it, it became more comfortable and we dug into why why was there this um this walking on eggshells feeling? It they sort of summarized that well, if I've experiences where they've gone into certain Facebook groups or they've posted something online where it has been like um it didn't feel like people necessarily were having a that healthy conversation around it. They felt scared to have a conversation around it.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I think that it's been, it's been interesting to kind of like, again, zoom out and look at what, you know, what information has been shared and the mediums in which it's been shared. And I feel like you bring up social media and that's kind of a big one where people are gaining information, which some level. I love the idea that it's so accessible, right? Like information being shared on social media can be, you know, a really great tool. And I use social media a lot. You know, I know you use social media too, Chris, we all kind of use it. Um, I think what's challenging is when you're having conversations specifically online. Um, I think it's just hard to have like a professional dialogue. And I think that, you know, they're, definitely is this kind of culture now where, um, yeah, it can get really vicious on social media. And I think that even myself, like I get, you know, nervous sometimes to post certain things or to have a certain perspective or share my opinion, um, for fear of like someone coming at me. Right. And like, I think that that is, I think that's really problematic because when we are embarking on a new idea, you know, and trying as clinicians to figure out how to wrap our heads around it and how to actually like, you know, potentially shift our practices. Um, we need to have healthy dialogue around it. Like we need to be able to have professional conversations with each other where, you know, we can ask questions and we can challenge things, right? Like challenge these ideas, um, in a healthy way. And so, you know, I definitely, reflected a lot on atia and reflected for myself on like how i you know have been approaching this um i've had i'd had some really great conversations during atia um with the ladies who actually presented on the topic of aac and glp stuff um and i've been trying to figure out like how can we create a healthy conversation um about this topic because i think that's really what our field needs to really move forward and to kind of adopt some of these new ideas and also potentially challenge some of them based on what we know to be true about aac um so i think that that's where i'm kind of i'm kind of wanting our field to kind of come together and figure out ways to have healthy conversations um and it definitely feels like we're not there yet
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: that's a great way to put it because um it's a it's an interesting question whether it is specific to this this feeling that people are having the and what you just described as having healthy conversations is unique to GLP or is it the same thing that happens with other phenomena? I mean uh I mean I don't remember or I don't I don't necessarily feel the uh that around like the specific language system first approach. I mean there's some people that um over the years that didn't sit well at first, you know, and that seems to have died down, but I felt like the conversations were always healthy around it. But are there other, can we look to other phenomenon over the course of, let's say the last 30 years of AAC and speech language pathology? Do you know what I mean? That, um, uh, where it does like, there's this sort of combative feeling at first. Um, I don't know. That's a question. I don't know.
0: Well, I think that we've talked about on the podcast before, you know, this idea of cognitive dissonance, right. And not, not wanting to acknowledge or admit that, you know, I've been doing it wrong or like, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And I just think that there's people who really get stuck in not moving forward. And I think a lot of times, Chris, we're on this podcast, really advocating for people to open up to new ideas and to evolve into, you know, the current state that we're in, instead of being stuck in what we were always doing in the way that we were always doing it. And I think that, you know, having that evolution is really important, but the way to get to that evolution is through really rich conversations and really being able to wrap your mind around, um, you know, what was I doing? now what is what is the information i have at hand and how do i integrate what i know now um and move forward with that you know and figure out what feels good to me and what sits well with me and what maybe doesn't and figuring out how to reconcile those things too um so i think that yeah for me it's just like I've been really eager to have conversations with a lot of different people and figure out what they think about, um, you know, Gestalt language and AAC. And, um, I've also been, you know, tweaking things in my own practice and seeing what happens. And, you know, I think it's just like a process and, um, having the ability to be open to new perspectives, have as many conversations as you need to have with whoever you need to have them with to kind of figure out what feels good to you and what you want to tweak or change. Um, and then being able to move forward in a way that isn't definitive about this is exactly the way that, you know, I think everybody should do it instead of, instead of that being more open with the fact that we don't know, right? Like I can't say anything really with, with DFINITY at this point, because I just don't know enough. Like I haven't been, you know, trying things and having as many conversations. And I feel like we're kind of in this place, right? At least I feel like I'm in this place with Gestalt Language Processing and AAC. Like I haven't been able to kind of get as much information and integrate that information enough to say really anything with, you know, pure confidence, um, it's all kind of like, well, here's what I'm seeing and here's what I think, but I'm not really sure, you know? And I think that that is like, it's a healthy level of, um, trepidation, I think is a good word, um, when we're thinking about this topic. And, um, yeah, it's been really interesting to navigate as, you know, time goes on. So
1: just to make sure I understand, cause I think what I hear you saying is- is it aligned with what I'm sort of witnessing in what I see in social media and certainly what people, again, back to what they were saying at ATIA, is they might see an Instagram reel from somebody that says, this is a gestalt language processor in stage one, and therefore I did X, right? And that's where a lot of the questions were like, Well, wait, why? How do you know that? And why did you do that? And uh, you're saying like, if I didn't do that, then maybe I did something wrong, or should I be thinking that way that I'm, maybe I'm doing something wrong? I want to keep my mind open, but there's so in a 30 second spot online, um, it's hard to really ask those sorts of questions. Um, is that fair? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So maybe here to wrap up this conversation is what were some of the takeaways from ATIA? Uh, I, I, really, really like to, again, if there, if our responsibility as the podcast host of the document tech podcast is to share with the listeners, uh, a summary, I think one, clearly what you just said is let's be open to dialogue and have, try and have healthy conversations. Um, watch for instances online, um, where it's not and reflect on how it could be better uh and then secondly specifically around gestalt language processing again with this healthy level of skepticism are you as a listener to this podcast do you have a healthy level of skepticism around it that doesn't mean outright reject it It doesn't mean accept it all at face value it means are you asking questions um to about how, just what, Rachel, what I heard you just say um, about your own practice and how you can integrate on in what you think you already know.
0: I also think, Chris, that there's this, I think that the, the real challenge is when we think about AAC, it already is a topic area where many clinicians feel overwhelmed and daunted, like they don't know enough, right? And then we take gestalt language processing which is another area where people are like, oh my gosh, I need to know about this thing. Like, what is this thing? This new thing that I need to know about. And then we're combining two things that people don't feel like they know a lot about. And we're putting them together into this massive thing that nobody really knows about. And I think that we just have to be careful with the conversations that we're having. Um, You know, and I'm a big fan of asking more questions than I am telling people you know, what I think and what to do. Um, Obviously I can give examples of things that I'm doing, but um, at this stage in the game, I think that, that asking the right questions is more important than, you know, figuring out trajectories and things to do. And again, I understand people share their clinical experiences and I think that's valuable, but also like sharing them as just one idea, right? One idea that you could think about. Um, and those questions I think are really important to think about. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, when we talk about PECs or picture exchange, I'm always advocating for people to think about specific strategic questions when we're thinking about PECs. Like, does it support motor planning? You know, can you model language on PECs? It's like when you start asking the right questions, people start opening up their minds to new perspectives and start challenging their own beliefs. Right? And I think that we, if we ask the right questions in any given situation, um, there's a lot of reflection that can happen and a lot of processing that people can do. Um, So I think it's like figuring out how can we ask the right questions? Um, And again, I think that then that opens up a really great, rich conversation professionally about all these ideas.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, um, I have two final thoughts, Rachel. The first one is um, if people did want to know something definitive here that you could, I think a conclusion that many of the conversations landed on um, was, well, What's, what's sort of our takeaway here from ATIA? Like, what do we, the people that go to ATIA, who's been working in AAC for ages and ages and ages, this extended family that I mentioned before, what do we feel like is a universal truth, an AAC agreement, if you will? Um, and so I, I'm i not prepared to, to generate a statement, but uh, the, a sentiment, I think, was tr- you could treat uh, echolalia like key vocabulary. What I mean by that is, you probably are not going to go wrong. Um, you're probably not going to hurt anybody, and probably help a lot of people. If someone used a was using a was verbally using a a phrase, <laughs> I won't even use the word gestalt. Let's just say a phrase, and they were using that repetitively. You could maybe program that phrase in to into an AAC device to show somebody that you're respecting their communication. Uh, I think I've heard you say you've done that in your clinical practice in the past, and it has been a door to, uh, uh, to, uh, that someone could walk through to as a bridge. Like, oh, this thing is purposeful for me. This thing is, people are respecting me. Uh, uh, maybe I can use this in some way, right? Where that was not necessarily used, uh, that, was ne- that wasn't demonstrated by the individual before. Is that fair?
0: Yes, absolutely. And I have done that in my clinical practice and it's been very successful.
1: Yeah. So, in the same way that if the someone really had, um, when I say key vocabulary, people, well, what's that, Chris? You know, a a fringe vocabulary word, a very obscure word that, but real, might be important to somebody. Well, let's put if someone really loved, you know, we talked about the Buffalo Bills back in the Disney episode. Let's say, um, you know, Buffalo Bills was really important. Well, it's probably doesn't need to be programmed in most people's devices, but if it is in your family, you might program it in yours. Uh, so so that it's a fringe vocabulary word that you might add um, because it's key to you. well, a phrase that someone uses all the time might also be key to you. So you probably are not going to do any harm by at least putting that on there, even if you're not into or understanding yet or not sure what questions you should even be asking. That's at least one, I think, a general takeaway uh, that anyone listening to this podcast, who has at ETIA in any of those conversations be like, yeah, that's right. That's what we' concluded. <laughs> is that fair?
0: Yes. I also would add to that, Chris, the two things. One, really following a child's lead and letting them kind of lead with whatever communication they're giving us and really responding and acknowledging that, um, which kind of goes into what you were saying. Um, But I think that really this idea that we are modeling language with the hopes that the students that we're working with will then Pick up that language and start using it. Um, I also think investigating when when students appear to be kind of using delayed echolalia, investigating what the intention behind that is, um, and that for sure for me has been one of the biggest aha moments of you know learning about gestalt language processing is you know, really doing the extra steps it takes to talk with the family, to watch that specific clip on YouTube, you to listen to that song, to ask the right questions about when the student first started using that and in what context they use that, you know, script and then figuring out ways so that a student is not, you know, stuck in that and they can actually communicate with a new uh, phrase or gestalt that is, you know, has more intention and is universally understood by a communication partner um and i think that that is another really important thing that you know, I will admit, like, I wasn't always acknowledging the delayed echolalia. I was taught to just like redirect or go somewhere different or that's, and I would have parents say, well, oh, they just, that's not functional. They just like script from, you know, toy story. Um, and so now it's like really opened my eyes to all communication is meaningful. And, you know, it's our work as clinicians to really get to the bottom of what's going on here. Like, what is the communicative intent behind this? Um, and so I think that that is one of the other big takeaways that I think I think we can all agree on.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'll just end by saying, first of all, well said. That was so well put. This will probably not be the last time you hear us talk about Gestalt Language Processing on Talking with Tech podcast. That said, would you agree that we wouldn't want this to turn into the Gestalt Language Processing podcast, right? <laughs> right. That, that, <laughs> right, because they're, they're – uh, it's certainly a big topic a lot of people are talking about it um are wanting to learn more about it we want to uh, help guide our own practice and help others through it um uh but we wouldn't want it to be the entire focus of our podcast but it won't be the last time you're going to hear some more about it we have plans yeah
0: yeah definitely we have plans to have more conversations and um yeah i mean i think it's just that's the nature of where we're at in this kind of evolution right is that we have a, we have questions and we have to kind of figure out how to navigate, um, this new space. And I think getting a lot of perspectives, it's, it's our, it's our duty, Chris, I think to bring different perspectives to the conversation and different questions that we've been hearing. Um, and I'm excited to share all of those things and excited to open up really rich professional dialogue around these topics that we're all trying to, to navigate the waters of.
1: Well, speaking of sharing perspectives, I know that um, one thing that we do on this podcast is we feature AAC users, and I believe that's the interview today.
0: Chris, I had the pleasure of interviewing Noah Callen, uh, an AAC user based in Australia. And Chris, you actually were able to to join us, so I had set up a interview with Noah and when I got there, he was like, but where's Chris? (laughs) And so I ended up texting you and I was like, Hey, I know it's kind of late on the East coast right now, but are you open for just saying, you know, a little hello to Noah? And so you ended up coming on saying hi, staying for a little bit. Um, so anyway, we had a really awesome meet and greet. Um, and Noah just was fantastic in Um, all the wisdom he shared about AAC and his ideas. Um, And I'm really excited to, to share his interview.
3: Hi, everyone. My name is Adriana Zabala, and I am one of the daughters of Joy Zabala. My mother was a pioneer in the field of assistive technology and a tremendous advocate for ensuring that educational experiences were designed to be inclusive, equitable and accessible. Throughout her life, my mother understood that mentorship of the next generation was essential in order to realize enduring sustainable change. To further my mom's work, her family, friends, and colleagues created the Joy Zabala Fellowship. Inspired by my mom's passion for empowering emerging practitioners, the fellowship supports relationships between experienced professionals and those who are taking the initial steps in their journey toward building a more inclusive future. I would like to invite you to participate in supporting this work by applying to become either a mentor or a mentee. You can access the applications and learn how to participate by going to joyzabala.com. I look forward to working with you to carry on my mother's work as we endeavor together to put more joy in the world for everyone.
0: Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Meadow, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. And also, we have Noah Callen here. Noah, we're so excited to have you here today.
2: Hi, guys. My name is Noah Callen. I am 25 years old, turning 26 in a few weeks. Oh. I am the AC and Technology Coordinator at Kids Plus a children's therapy hub in Geelong, Victoria, Australia. My work includes the delivery of augmentative and alternative communication-related professional development training, including workshops, conferences for users, family members and carers, and allied health professionals. One example is our AAC Connect program that I run alongside my colleagues, Jenna O'Brien and Rachel Harkin, which provides opportunities for people to advance their knowledge of AAC implementation to better support communication and foster more engaging and effective interactions for parents and their children. I should also mention that I do some work for Get Skilled Access of which Dylan Orkett, the 2022 Australian of the Year is the founder. Get Skilled Access is all about encouraging a more inclusive environment for people with disabilities and educating people on how to interact and support someone with a disability especially in professional settings and when accessing public facilities. I have been involved in both consultation sessions and auditing reviews with ANZ and Australian Bank and Tennis Australia. Most importantly, helping those clients realise and understand that although I'm nonverbal, verbal I have plenty to say especially in relation to inclusion and access for those of us who are non-verbal and have quadriplegia, The AAC device that I'm using is GridPad 12. It is by Smartbox with IntelliGaze camera by Alien Technologies. Why? The grid pad 12 has a 10-hour battery life, which means my eye gaze ensures that I can join in the conversation anytime, day or night. It also has a sleek, streamlined design that is the perfect size. It is quite robust and is not too big and not too small. It looks cool as well. It also has an option for a second screen to display what I have typed. It shows the three dots when I'm typing my message out. Finally, my green pad 12 gives me the ability to set up my environmental controls, which is a very handy feature to have. This is my very first eye gaze system and absolutely has changed my life.
0: Noah, I am super excited that you shared all about your system because I had mentioned before we started recording, I love that I can also read what you're saying and also that I'm seeing when you're typing and you're formulating. Um I think that visual feedback is really helpful and I haven't seen that before. Um and so I'm happy that you kind of discussed that and we talked about it because I feel like it's such a cool feature and it just kind of supports, um, you know, all different modalities of communication. And it's just, especially I'm guessing in noisy environments where perhaps the auditory output, um, you know, isn't loud enough. It's that kind of visual piece where people are able to then read, uh, what you've communicated in addition to listening.
1: Those three dots, I think are really important because people are used to seeing a text message and knowing, oh, I'm wait- I have to wait. This is my cue that I need to wait because something's being conferred. And so that that three dots is just such a great sort of universally uh, understood way of meaning. Just give me a second. I'm working on it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which we've had other AAC users on the podcast. And one of the things they say is a challenge is having people wait long enough for them to actually respond and formulate a response. Um, And so I think that's a a really cool technology that uh, Smartbox has. Um, So I'm happy that we kind of shared about that. You have a very long resume, sir. You're doing amazing things in the field (laughs) of advocacy and AAC. In fact, I
1: thought maybe I heard it wrong. So like he said 25, right? Not 55. He's done more. No, you've done more in 25 Mm -hmm. years than I know some people. Jeez.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Super, super impressive. Um, So before we kind of dive into all the current work that you're doing, really curious about your story. Um, How did you first get set up with AAC? When were you introduced to AAC? Tell us a little bit about that journey.
2: Family and I lived in Japan for eight years. I can remember at about the age of three, accessing our laptop to practice writing sentences with only a jelly bean switch. I then discovered the trackball to move the mouse around on the screen with jelly bean switches to do left and right click. Soon after, I discovered a non screen keyboard that enabled me to move the mouse and click any letter. This enabled me to write messages to my family. Even at such an early age, I could see the power technology could give me in my life. I was also able to play computer games, basic ones, but for the first time in my life, I was able to do something other able-bodied kids could do. After we came back from Japan, my parents placed me in a special school. My speech therapist, Sam, took me out of my class and we went to an office space. I didn't know what she was going to do with me. On the table, there was a device with a jellybean switch. It was just sitting there. At first, I didn't know what it was. Sam got some tools to mount the green device on my wheelchair's wooden table. She then stuck some curl on my table for the switch. I still had no clue what this did. She turned on the machine, and then a lot of small icons came up. The device was called a minimo and had a small screen. I was interested in what this could do for me. Sam explained how it worked. It was an augmentative and alternative communication, AAC, device that allowed me to have a voice and output my thoughts and opinions. I used the scanning feature for my access method to select which row or column I wanted to choose. It scanned each row automatically within a few seconds. My setting, I think, was two or three seconds. When I clicked on the jelly bean switch on the row I wanted, it scanned which column I would like to pick. When I selected the icon, it spoke out to the world. This moment unlocked my voice. One problem with this device was that it couldn't spell. For example, when I spell the word dog, it doesn't say dog. It says D-O-G. This is because someone has to pre-record their voice into the device to say the word. This isn't a computerized voice. It was a shame, but lucky we had a student teacher called Dan Drew who recorded his voice when I needed a word or two, or else I would have asked my teacher to record her voice, but I didn't want to sound like a lady, which is fair enough, don't you think? After a few months, Sam gave me an upgrade to the Dynabox MT4. The same as Minimo, but it had a computerized voice and could spell. Learning to use AAC has been challenging at times, but I always got there in the end. I can remember the first night of having it, and Mum was complaining about something, so I simply said, who cares? That comment was the first funny comment I ever made. AAC allows me to show my personality and my crazy humor. From then on, my family and I started to have proper conversations. In all honesty, I didn't know what impact an AAC device was going to have on my life. I only realized how much it could help me just three years ago when I got my green pad 12 with the eye gaze access. When I left my special school to go to a mainstream school, I also left my speech therapists and teachers who were implementing AAC in my daily life, which means people no longer put this technology in front of my face every single day. I did use AAC in my late high school years, I remember when my year 11 English teacher wanted me to use my AAC to answer questions during class. So, before the class, he gave me the questions, which allowed me time to think about them deeply. I was using Proloquo by assistive wear on my MacBook Pro, this simple strategy enabled me to participate in the discussion. When it was my turn to answer the question, everyone looked at me because they were interested in how this technology works and they were smiling straight after I had answered the question. It was really important for me to have these opportunities so that both students and teachers could recognise that I was just like anyone else four years ago. I wanted to explore what else was out there, so I reached out to my speech therapist, Sam. By the way, if you need a fantastic speech therapist and you are in Melbourne, Australia, I highly recommend Cement for White Speech Pathology. Anyway, I reached out to her after 10 years to get recommendations on what to use. The grid pad 12 was the answer, and I now realise how much of an impact that device has had in allowing me to share my thoughts and opinions.
0: That is an amazing journey that you've been on Noah. And thank you for kind of sharing all the different systems that you've tried. I think it's a good reminder that these things evolve with the technology, right? And these things evolve over the course of um, someone's life. And it sounds like you were kind of trialing a lot of different things and deciding what worked for you and also what didn't work for you. And um, it sounds like you landed on a good system um, based on the experiences that you were having and finding some of those limitations, um, especially early on when the technology just wasn't the same as it is now.
1: Well, and also just reflecting on what you were saying there, um, it sounds like you've used multiple things, right? So, and your access methodology changed from switches to eye gaze. So it's, it's I think some people feel like they got to get it right, right out of the start, you know? And you are certainly sharing experiences where um, you've grown and evolved over time.
0: One other thing <laughs> I want to remark on is the story you shared about the first time you were able to say something funny and humorous, and you were able to showcase the the humor that you have, um, I think that's really important to highlight because so often I think as therapists and educators, we're trying to get kids to communicate in ways that we expect, that we want, and really how can we teach um students to really start sharing parts of their personality and, you know, saying things that are funny. Um, And I think that that was such a great reminder. And obviously it was a really powerful experience for you because you remember, you said it was the first time that I was able to say something funny to my family. Um, And so I just thank you for sharing that. And I think it's just another powerful example of how we can really try to help our, our students learn how to communicate what they want to communicate what they're interested in communicating
1: no i have to go thank you so much uh for 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 say, making rachel text me and go you got to jump on to meet noah so i'm so glad i got to meet you mm-hmm. um i do have one last question before i go though and i know you're going to continue the interview with um with rachel here and that is oh. are you still a gamer man are you are you gaming
2: I'm a big gamer,
1: especially Grand T Porter Awesome. Awesome. All right. Enjoy the rest of the, uh, I'm a gamer too, right? So we've got to connect. Um, uh, enjoy the rest of the interview. Thank you so much. I'll talk yeah. to you later. Bye. Nice S- meeting you. See you,
0: Chris. All right, Noah, it's back to just us. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, let's see, where are we on the questions? Okay. So you've shared a lot about your journey, uh, which has been really, you know, exciting to kind of hear all the different phases of AAC that you've gone through. Um, a lot of parents of Children who use AAC listen to this podcast. A lot of educators who teach kids how to use AAC listen to this podcast. Um, What advice would you give about AAC, um, especially to parents perhaps that are just starting off on the AAC journey with their child? uh, Based on all of your experience, what piece of advice would you give?
2: The first time I used AAC was just a first for me. It was also a first for my parents. The most challenging thing for my parents was them learning how to use the device themselves and how they could best support me. They had to take the time to learn from my speech therapist. I think I have been pretty lucky with my parents, really. They have always been proactive in ensuring that I have access to whatever technologies will work. To do that, they have had to keep themselves educated about tech along the way, which is not easy. It meant lots of research, testing out the hardware and software and finding people who could answer their questions. Unfortunately, it isn't always easy to connect with older AAC users because there isn't that many of us. My parents also learned early on to support my humour because they realised how important it was for me. I remember early on the moment that I knew AAC was going to help me. Mum was complaining about something, so I simply said, who cares with the device I had at the time. That comment was the first funny comment I ever made and I still remember it to this day. AAC allowed me to show my personality and my crazy humor. From then on, my family and I started to have proper conversations. My parents have also empowered me in many ways, often by giving me choices regarding things happening in my life, and they have listened to those choices. This was critical for me to see my voice as valuable and powerful. My parents have been incredible advocates around AAC and my tech setup. They have also taught my extended family how to communicate with me using AAC. My parents were so important to me along my journey, even if I didn't realize it way back then. They have always been there for me and did their very best. If you are a family member, friend or therapist of an AAC user, try and set a time with the AAC user to have a chat with the device each day. That way, the AAC user gets to know the layout of their grid and feels more at ease with the device so they will feel comfortable starting their own conversation. If you're an AAC user, keep using your device. Remember, it's your voice and it's going to be part of you. It's important to share your thoughts and opinions. Think that the device is going to be a part of your identity because it is.
0: I love that. I love that. And it sounds like, you know, it's funny because you mentioned about your parents, like maybe back then I didn't realize it, but we always kind of reflect on our parents, right? We're like, when we're teenagers, we're like, ah, parents. But then, you know, as we become adults, we look back and think, wow, I'm lucky to have the parents that I have. And it sounds like your parents were really big advocates for you getting all of the technology and supports that you needed to be successful. Uh, speaking about that, um, tell me the most challenging aspect of AAC. Um, we have had a lot of AAC users on the podcast, and it's always a big question for me um, just because I think there's no better way to learn about AAC than to listen to AAC users themselves. Um, so tell me, what is the most challenging aspect of being an AAC user?
2: Using this device does give me a choice that does come with its challenges. One of the biggest challenges that I have come across is people often want to touch or lean on their device when they are hanging with me and talking to me. I know that they don't mean to cause any problems by doing this, but it is not a good idea. It's a part of my identity and the person needs to realise that it's like touching me without any warning. Please respect me and the device. And trust me, I'll let them know using my device, and it's all good. They could damage the device, cause it to come off the mountain fall, and it is also a bit of an invasion of my personal space. The second challenge is that when I go into a different room, I sometimes need to recalibrate the device. This is because the lighting of the environment can vary from room to room. Light can affect the size of a person's pupils, as you know, which in turn affects how the eye gaze reads my eyes. If it is not right, the system won't read or reads inaccurately. This can be really annoying.
0: Yeah, those are really important reminders. The first one you mentioned about just kind of not touching my device, um, I think is a big one. And I feel like, especially with young kids, we're oftentimes taking their device to program and plug it in and model and all those things. And so really respecting that that is, um, you know, a student's voice. And I think you explained it as part of their identity. Um, so always asking permission, if we do need to kind of mess around with the device feels like a good kind of thing to remember. Um, and also just recognizing that it's not just simply a device, right? It's a kind of an extension of you, uh, which I think is an important reminder. And then the recalibration recal- specific to the eye tracking and eye gaze system. Um, you know, I, I think that Alternative access, especially eye tracking, does feel like a daunting technology for a lot of SLPs, even even AAC specialists. Um, and I think that the environment and the positioning and getting the calibration and the dwell time and all of those things are huge. Um, and you know, you're you're able to to kind of understand that and communicate about that. But I think when we're working with new users and young kids, it's like, oh, it doesn't feel like it's working, or they're inaccurate, and it can just be technology thing, right? It can be the lighting in the room, like you mentioned. Um, so I think that's a really important reminder, um, making sure that that environmental stuff and all the calibration is, is kind of dialed in. Okay. Do you have any other stories, Noah, that you'd like to share? You've been doing great at sharing stories of all of your experiences. Do you have any other stories to share?
2: Two stories that I am going to share with you today. I'm going to give you a real example of something that happened to me when people don't look past your disability. I went to a bank to set up a business account. The person who was helping us spoke to my support worker, a.k.a. mum, the entire time. This person actually talked about me in front of me rather than to me. Even when my mum kept directing the conversation to me, this person just didn't get it. The worst part was when this person, who was a manager by the way, said, can he understand what I am saying? I was thinking, really? I am right here. I'm using an iPad with switch control. What? Give me a chance to respond. I am aware of what's happening around me, and it's a business account for me, not my mum. This negative experience made me feel somewhat disappointed in both the person we were dealing with and the bank because they should have it more of an idea of how to deal with a disabled person. It should really be part of their training. I've got feelings too, and I shouldn't be treated this way. I think it is time for change. People need to become more educated around AAC and respect people who have a disability, including those that are nonverbal. To contrast, My next experience is a positive one, and a reminder to never underestimate the power of using an AAC device just in daily life either. Up until a few years ago, I was not able to access an iPhone because the software did not have the accessibility features I needed. Anyway, I worked in consultation with Organization assisting Apple with these features. To cut a long story short, I was finally able to purchase an iPhone. So I went into the store and we worked with Francis who was helping us with setting up the phone. But he couldn't get the accessibility features working. Sometimes that's technology for you. These features should have been on the phone, but were not there because recent updates for the software had not occurred. Through communication using my eye gaze, he and I were able to help each other get to where I needed it to be. I was able to walk him through the steps necessary to make this happen. Mum couldn't help. So if I had not had the means to communicate directly with him, we would have been in trouble. Francis was a great communication partner because he talked directly to me and not to my mum. While setting up my new iPhone, we started to chat about other things and we were able to have a laugh. We connected and it felt great. Francis looked past my disability and my great pet. He treated me as a regular customer. I really liked him and I hope that I get to see him again.
0: Oh, no, I love those stories. The first one's super cringy, right? It just made me go, oh, yuck, 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 yuck. And you're exactly right. It's like this is where we need organizations to have better education and training around how to engage and interact with people with disabilities. Um, I just also had an aha moment when you were sharing about the experience working with the, um, the guy at Apple for the iPhone and the accessibility, you know, I'm sure one of the experiences that you have and many AAC users is when you're meeting a new person you very rarely probably have an opportunity to just connect with someone, you know, and communicate in ways that are just not beyond the basic needs that I need, right? Like I'm coming to you because I need to open a bank account and I'm gonna tell you the information that you need and I'm coming to you because I need to buy this iPhone. So here's the information that you need. It's like very transactional, I'm sure, with people that you're just interacting with in the community but how awesome is it when you meet someone like Francis at the uh, um at the Apple store where you're able to actually connect with someone new and mm. share your experiences um and so i'm sure that that you know doesn't happen as often as it should mm. um is that right
2: totally
0: yeah Yeah. It was just as I was listening to you, I was like, you know, I'm sure that that is probably common, unfortunately, to just be like, here's all the information you need. And then our conversation is kind of over at that point. If you were, Mm -hmm. if you were interacting with someone who doesn't, who isn't a good communication partner, who doesn't know how to interact with someone who uses AAC for communication. Okay. So one question that I ask everybody on the podcast who comes on if you had a billboard that everyone read, what would you want your billboard to say?
2: Don't underestimate what an AAC user can do. Give them all the time in the world to deliver their message because what's the rush? There is absolutely no rush. Sometimes people assume that because I have a physical disability and i am nonverbal. I can't do things like ordinary people do. Don't judge a person by their appearance. Before you judge a disabled person, you may want to take the time to get to know them and see what they are able to do. You might be surprised and also find a new friend.
0: Oh, I love that, Noah. And I think it's a really important reminder that wait time is so big. Because oftentimes either people, I'm sure, move on when they're having conversations with you and you don't have enough time to respond um, or talk for you, which I know is another thing I'm sure you probably experience a lot. Um, And for our students who are learning language using AAC, if we're always jumping in and asking them more questions or telling them what to say, you know, they never have the time and space to actually figure out what they want to say on their own. Um, So I think across the board, awesome billboard. I love it. What is next on the horizon for you? you already have done so much Noah in the work that you do in the advocacy that you do. Um, What are your goals? Tell me all about the things that we have to look forward to for you. I will keep advocating for people with disabilities
2: and educating people that someone like me can do the same things as an able-bodied person in all aspects of life, like sport, school, work, social, or even dating life. Also, I'd like to keep working with Get Skilled Access and the Kids Plus Foundation so that I can keep raising awareness about augmentative and alternative communication and mentoring the next generation of AAC users to speak up for themselves and be heard. The best place to find what I'm up to is on my link tree. The link is Linktree linktree.com. There are a lot of links, including one of my platforms. AAC Space, which acts like yellow pages for AAC devices and speech pathologist services worldwide. If you want to list your listing on AAC Space, please visit aacspace.com. It's absolutely free.
0: You're an entrepreneur, Noah? Hey. Oh my goodness, I feel like we have a whole new podcast episode dedicated to talking about your entrepreneurship. I just went to aacspace.com. I want to be on that. I'm going to submit an entry. Can I be on it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Well, you're doing amazing work, both for the field of AAC, but also just generally for people with disabilities. So I thank you so much for coming on to share your experience You will have to stay in touch. I know we're friends on Instagram now, Noah. So um, I'm excited to see all the things that you do. And please don't hesitate to reach out. If you have some new project that you're working on, we would love to share it on the podcast. We'd love to have you come back on and talk all about it. We thank Sam for, is Sam the one who told, told you to reach out to us? It was a different SLP.
2: That was Sam.
0: It was Sam. Well, I hope to meet Sam one day too because it sounds like she's doing amazing work for the field and has really impacted your life and I'm sure many other individuals' lives, um, connecting them to the technology that can give them a Mm. voice. Um, So thank you, Noah, for coming on and sharing your experience with us.
2: Thanks so much for having me today. It has been great talking with you.
0: Thank you so much, Noah. So for Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined by Noah Callen. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.